Hi, and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 37, and today we welcome another special guest to help us discuss self-build mortgages and navigate our way through that topic. Hamish Malcolm of Monroe and Noble is here in just a moment. But as I say, this is show 37. And in our previous episodes, we've covered other traditional and newer types of mortgage, uh, insurances, pensions, investments, help to buy schemes and loads more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. So if you have a general financial query, first place to look is our back catalogue. Search the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts and you'll find us there. An enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Mellis. With me, as always, the star of the show, Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's the ultimate dream, this one, isn't it? Building your own home. I think it is. You know, a lot of people have got aspirations to, to do it. Something that I found over the years is becoming a, a bit more popular. And I think there's been an increase in all these TV shows, like doing yeah. up properties and building properties from scratch. And, and that's probably one of the, the things that's kind of driven more demand for the, this sort of self-builds and, and building your own house. But I think there's more funding options available. We'll, we'll be able to see in a, a moment or two if that's the, the case or not. But self-build mortgages aren't all the same. Um, it's different from normal mortgages. And um, with us this week to explore the options, we've got Hamish Malcolm from Monroe and Noble. Um, Monroe and Noble are estate agents and financial services and a solicitor firm based in the, the north of Scotland. Hamish has been in financial services for, for an awful, well, longer than me. I'm, I'm <laughs> but uh, I'll let Hamish say a few words on, on himself as well. He'd be the, the best one to, to go through that. But Hamish is an expert with, with self-build mortgages, so that would be really good to, to get him on the show today. Yeah, no, th thanks for having me on the show, gents. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, as you've said there, Phil, self-build's been an area I've seen more and more interest in, especially since lockdown. I think more people now obviously work from home and maybe between needing an extra room in the house as a workspace. I don't know, lockdowns maybe created more emphasis on having your own garden outside space. Mm. Kind of hence the phrase that I've seen referred to, the race for more space when it comes to housing. And we have a lot of space up in the Highlands still. <laughs> yeah, there's an awful lot of that. Regardless of the fact that we're chatting self-mortgages and a personal finance show though, Hamish, you work for a company from my hometown in Venice. So I am compelled to ask, are you from the town yourself? I am indeed born and bred in Venice, right enough, John. And yeah, joined, joined banking in the finance world just 35 years ago this very month. You know, we'll have subtitles rolling across the bottom of the Zoom screen for Phil so he can follow what's going on. Do you know what I miss most from back home, other than Miami, obviously, is a Harry Gow's dream ring. Phil, this is a baker's dough ring, right? It's sliced in half. They fill it with cream and then they ice it on top because at this stage you're dying young anyway, so why not? It is heaven. You'll be penciling in visits to the office in Wick just so you can just so you can pass through their drive-through store just to the other side of the Keswick Bridge. But I digress slightly. You know, Another... Another expertly composed, exquisite structure, the home you build yourself. Tell me, Hamish, what exactly then is a self-built mortgage and how do they compare with your average type of mortgage? Yeah, well, well, leading on perfectly, guys, I would say comparing a self-built mortgage to a standard mortgage over an existing house, it's maybe like comparing a ready-made cake you get from the Tesco's. 
as opposed to cake made to order from Mr. Gow, where you've designed <laughs> it all and you've got a suitably embarrassing picture of the recipient <laughs> on the cake. In essence, yeah, I mean, there's less choice, there's less number of lenders in the market for a self-build. You're probably looking at higher interest rate during the build stage, and there's certainly more difference between the criteria for the self-build lenders as opposed to somebody just buying a traditional, you know, ready-made house, if you like. What would you say falls under the, the banner of a self-build mortgage, Hamish? I mean, the, the, there's ones where you're building from scratch, but would you also say that there's things like renovation projects, extensions, conversions? What, what would you say it covers? Yeah, I, I would say, strictly speaking, Scott, I, I, Phil, I'd class a self-build as, as building from scratch on a plot of land that you either own already or it's part of the, the, the kind of self-build project. There's a couple of lenders who will entertain demolishing a property on site, it's usually of an older design and rebuilding a new house from scratch on the same site. I've seen that done before. But maybe with just one exception, I can think of the other areas talked about for would probably come into what's called a heavy refurb, as lenders would call it. And once we're into that, we're into more niche specialist areas. And for those listening, you know, needless to say, the rates of lenders and fees reflect the fact they're niche and specialist, you know. Why build your own home, Hamish? I mean, clearly it's going to be more stressful, isn't it? Well, sometimes people don't understand the stress until they're in it. I mean, apart from the points I mentioned about post-lockdown notions where people want to have their own space and escape the city life, I think the attraction of the self-builds is designing something bespoke to your own needs. Now, the germ of that might, idea might have come from a you know Channel 4 TV programme or a dozen glossy home and lifestyle magazines you can buy at the supermarkets. It is just bear in mind that half the reason the TV channels like to do programmes on self-builds is to capture the drama of the cost overrun, <laughs> the lady of the house becoming pregnant during the build, the man of the house falling off scaffolding during the build, etc., etc. <laughs> I, I would say it's not so entertaining when you're the star of the show. But in terms of stress, I think applicants just don't appreciate until they're in the mix of it, it's going to be stressful. And so many things can happen with the project, the builders, maybe living in a caravan on site or with the in-laws during the build, you know, all the more reason to ensure your self-build project's well planned out. And uh, yeah, we're, we're looking for de-stress finance, not distress finance, if you pick up the nuance here. <laughs> That's it. I'm always a great advocate for people using like an independent mortgage broker because they take that a lot of the stress out of it. And I, I was going to ask Hamish, what, what would you say would be some of the advantages of doing a, a self-built project? I know one, one of the things I thought of was that uh, potentially there could be a lot less land and buildings transaction tax, or in England that's called stamp duty. So that was one that I thought of, but is there any other ones that you would suggest or, or say? Yeah, I think from a financial point of view, Phil, one of the drivers that I hear all the time is that, you know, you should be in a good position for loan to value when you've finished your house, as soon as you've got completion certificate, really. So you've got that immediate up equity uplift, apart from the fact you've designed the house, you've got the windows facing the way you want them, you know, and being in control of it. I mean, unless the budget's gone seriously wrong, there should always be a good bit of uplift between the cost of the project and what survey will assess the house at the end. And I guess if you're comparing this against buying a new build house within a development, you know, you might not get such an uplift, especially if you're looking to sell the house on or remortgage the first couple of years after completion. You know, I'll say no more than that. It's, it's always a hot topic between valuers and developers. You might have good material for a future podcast there, but, you know, you might need Eddie Hearn to organise that one for you. Mm -hmm. So I'll leave that one. Do you, um, do you have access to many lenders for this? And does the criteria change a lot from a more traditional mortgage? And I suppose also the question, the one that we always get asked, Whenever we go into mortgages, you know, it's the only one that matters. 
how much can someone borrow? Yeah, it's like, it's like Jane Maguire showing me the money, isn't it, this part, yeah. I, for sure. Yeah, I mean, realistically, for clients in Scotland, I, I would say there's probably only about a dozen credible lenders with published criteria on mortgage sourcing systems. That said, we do have access to who are not on those sites. They both have authority to make lending decisions within the Highlands and, and Aberdeen, which can be useful. For one of those, I mean, they've got a maximum loan size of 175,000. So it covers a bit, but not everything. And they're really just involved to get your house to completion stage. After that, you're coming back to the mainstream mortgage market. The other one's more focused on, say, higher-end projects, and they look for the self-build to be part of an ongoing relationship with the client. So two very different approaches, but, you know, th those are two more niche ones which aren't really, you wouldn't find on the internet. Amongst the main lenders who are there and publish criteria, if you know where to find it, I'd say there's a few points here, if I can just bullet point, that we really try and bring out in our first conversation with the client, and that determines who's going to be most suitable for you. In no particular order, it's do you own the land or not? Some people have bought the land, some people have gifted the land. One lender actually needs to know if your family own the adjoining land to the plot, and that can be rule them in or out. Are you using NH NHBC builder or an architect? What style of house are you building? Is it traditional or something a bit more modern? I mean, some amazing new style flat roofs on the go. They look incredible. They're not so popular with all lenders. Or indeed, is your house really eco-friendly, low emissions, etc.? You know, that, that can have an impact as well. One that I see a lot of people just totally forgetting about is actually the timeline of the build. So initially, it's all about numbers. What's my income? What's the loan-to-value going to be? But the timeline of your build and the style of build can make a big impact. So if it's a build where the kit is to be paid early on, maybe it's been constructed off-site, that can lead to a much big, quicker build stage. But again, not all lenders are really suited to that. And finally, as, as far as the maximum that can be borrowed, it's the same as a standard mortgage to some extent, and Phil will know this. The lender's criteria can change quite a lot but, you know, from lender to lender, uh, especially if you're self-employed or, say, a salaried person who's got more than just your basic salary. So whether that's, you know, allowances, overtime, bonuses, that's all, that can all have a big difference. And again, very finally, one factor that people don't appreciate has a big effect is where you're actually going to stay during the build stage. It's sometimes feasible to stay in your own house while the new build's taking place, but more often than not, it's a case of renting a house, staying in a caravan on site with friends and family. And renting does sound a less stressful of those, but the cost of rent is sometimes taken into calculations by lenders as if it was an ongoing car loan or personal loan. So really important to appreciate how self-build lenders can assess the same client, but totally differently. I know it is. There's so many different kind of options out there. I remember years and years ago, I worked for the Skipton Building Society, and Skipton was one of the main players in the self-build market back then. And one of the things I used to find was the cash flow was a big issue for a lot of people, having the money to be able to kind of crack on with the project. And like Hamish said there, some of the lenders would, would be fine if, if you already owned the land, others didn't, weren't so keen on that. But one of the things that Skipton were very good at in that like era was that they would allow people, they would advance some of the money in advance. So, so you had the money there to do a lot of the works and then like pay for it as you were going. Do, do you still have schemes that advance the, the funds up front, Hamish? Yeah, there are, Phil. For certain types of styles of build, that's exactly a lender to use without question. I, I just think, and again, we're on some of the same forums, Phil, that, that can be for some of the social media forums can be dangerous in that you have really well-intentioned people who drop in comments about which lender to use. 
that until you've done the fact find on the client and understood the type of build and the style of builders, you know, you can't really identify which lender is the best one to use. Every, everyone's different. They've all got their day in the sun and in other cases, they, they won't fit at all, you know. Hmm. I, I can just sense this is going to be a, a, a big answer here and I apologise in advance for asking the question, but any pitfalls to be aware of when building your own home, Hamish? There can be pitfalls. We could actually spend an hour just on the pitfalls, but that would be a scary podcast, to be fair. <laughs> so I suppose just the main ones I've seen, the main ones, and these are called sleepless nights, absolutely, for me as well as clients, to be fair. So no particular order, but people buying the land and in some cases actually starting the work before getting the approval for a sell finance line. Sometimes a lender needs to be involved or their appointed architect needs to be involved from the very start or they won't lend at all. So where the initial land and build has been financed through personal loans or credit cards, I've seen that done, it can be really tricky then to get a lender coming in halfway through or a quarter of the way through. That can start as a great bonus for somebody, I own the land already and I've got the money to buy the land, but it can actually trip you up later on if you don't involve a lender at the start, mm-hmm. even before you actually need the money from them. Underestimating the cost of the, of the build and the time overruns. Hopefully, if you have a good architect and developer, they can bring their experience into play and help with that. As I mentioned at the top, there's not a huge amount of self-build lenders. So it's always best to check that your situation will have a solution with a lender. Again, don't just assume, you know, there'll be a self-build option for you and start writing checks about, I'm showing the age there, writing checks, aren't you, for the land, etc. <laughs> you know, you'd need to be cautious. You know, say if you work offshore, Phil, you'll have a lot of clients from 3 and 6 still working offshore. You know, if you're based in certain locations for work like Azerbaijan, that's not every lender in the UK is going to be comfortable with that. We have one client we're kind of well down the path with who's living and working in Panama at the moment. So, yeah, we will have the cigars out when they get their house finished. <laughs> and, yeah, again, if you've recently set up in business, self-employed, less than a year or less than two years to some extent, you know, that's going to restrict your options. Similarly, if you have a credit issues in the past, these can all be areas that can narrow down your options even if you're buying a standard house where there's dozens of lenders, far less than the, the more niche area of self-builds. And the last one, again, just from real hard experience, folks, you know, if somebody changes jobs during the self-build project itself, maybe increase your car payments during the build stage. I mean, that can have a serious effect on the lending when we all come back at the end of the project with completion certificate. So, yeah, in terms of advice, even if your car's on its last legs, please hold off getting the new one until the house is complete and we've got your mortgage switched over from self-build onto a, onto a fixed rate longer term piece. Oh, you wouldn't believe the, the amount of people that, that kind of their circumstances change as they're applying for a mortgage or looking to move in and it's just a nightmare. But, but one, one of the things that came to mind there, I, I heard somebody just recently, a self-employed guy was looking for a mortgage and then um, he was trying to use his bounce back loan as a deposit and it's just like, oh no, it's just... <laughs> some of the things folk will try in and to kind of do it but do do you find Hamish like most self-built projects does it generally tend to be people who are doing it up to stay in themselves or I I guess some would maybe look to do it as a project to to sell on and make money and then maybe even some might might look to to let a property out but what do you think what, what do you find is the most common reason people do it? Yeah, the, the majority are for the people to stay and fill, and this will be the house, if not forever, you know, for, for long, longer term. Here, I've seen it done that people have changed their mind after completion and sell it on or let it out. Here, maybe the bold says have been really fraught and there's a divorce and parting of the ways, so lots of things can happen, you know. I think it's just important to check the position with the lender as far as the early repayment charge are concerned. 
or where they stand on consent to lease if it is going to be let out once you've finished it. But really, if the plan is not to stay in the house, I wouldn't be taking a client to the main kind of self-build lenders. We're talking more niche development lenders. Again, different fee structure, probably more likely to charge a percent of the, the build project during the stage payment. So we're probably getting nearer to commercial lending terms there, Phil, than, than self-builds, I think, as we, we really know them, you know. Do, do lenders tend to look at the overall value or, or the cost of the project when they assess an application, Hamish? Yeah, a, a bit of both, John. Most lenders, pretty much all of them, they look for a certain percentage of the overall cost to come in from the client. And overall cost, we're talking the land cost and the build. There's always that expectation there from a lender that will almost be a natural uplift in the end valuation. You know, that, that, end, that gives a lender a good loan-to-value position at, at completion. So... The fact you built it yourself as opposed to having, you know, one of the main builders bang it for you, you've almost got that profit level or that profit margin within your figures at the end of it. There's still, there's a few lenders out there who don't have much of a need for a cash, but of course the lender has to, the client has to appreciate there's less margin for error there. If there's any cost overruns and you're in just with a minimum, you know, that, that can, that can be a tight position, you know. Do you, do you, um, I touched on earlier and mentioned about, folk with, with kind of cash flow issues, but is that something you see a lot, Hamish? And, and I was also wondering if it is, what ways, or how can they overcome that? Yeah, I'd have to say over the years, Phil, I've seen more projects running over cost and over time than, than I've seen coming in under, put it that way. Yeah, the more planning, the better. So before starting, really getting into your costs, having experienced contractors, professionals, that architects involved can help. If it starts in the back of a fag packet, yeah, it doesn't really set the great vibe that's a real project we've looked at, you know. Here, I mean, stuff can happen. I would always say to folk, you know, if the budget's tight, let's try not to go mad with the nice-to-have add-ons, like underfloor heating, wood-burning stoves, you know, unless the budget allows. I mean, they may or may not really add anything to the actual value of the house at the end of it. I would say the lenders all have different levels of contingency that they would factor in when they're doing the initial assessment and the costings of the project. It's just, it's really useful, it's essential to have a, a clear idea of what's the maximum loan I can get from this lender based on your income, based on your commitments for, for the same as a traditional house. Because ultimately, lender's not going to go past that. So even if we're adding hundreds of thousands on in value, that's that's still a, 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 a threshold, if you like, it's always going to be there, you know. How are the, the, the funds released on, on stage payment mortgages, Hamish? Yeah, John, the, the lenders can differ on this as well. They'll all have in their mind key stages during the build project itself, which will release funds. Now, some will, will, will allow you to you'll support you in terms of buying the land itself. But in the main, they'll release it on receipt of an architect's certificate. That will confirm what work's been done on that specific stage. Again, important to ensure your contractor is on side with what money's being paid out when, especially as a reference, you know, if it's a, a kit being produced off-site. Some lenders, as you mentioned before, in the old days of old with skipped and fill, they'll work better for what they call advanced payments for those type of projects, you know, shorter build stage, you know, kit being manufactured off-site. So it's, it's horses for courses on that, really. I was just thinking, Hamish, like one of the other things with self-build mortgages, is, is there any other things to kind of look out for? I, I was thinking you would, clients would maybe need to look at some kind of self-build insurance. Um, is that something that you can help with or do you get really involved much in that? Not, not so much on that, Phil. We, like, again, we probably outsource it. It's through the site insurance during the build. 
it's beyond the, the normal contents and buildings. So again, but we've got some really good general insurance broker intermediary contacts up and down the highlands and islands. So we, we'd probably get this, we'd probably uh, get a specialist involved and, and get the client quotes for that part. Actually, for yourselves, Hamish, do, do you do? I, I know you, you'll do like residential mortgages, self-build. Am I right saying do you, you do commercial loans as well? Do you? We do, yes. Um, not as many as 13 months ago, Phil, to be honest with you. You know, and there's probably not as competitive a market between the, the, the five or six mainstream lenders. But no, I mean, that, that's really, that's more than my background, Phil, from banking days was the commercial lending side. Hence, coming in someone like self-builds, the fact it's a development project, it's not going to be done and dusted in two months. That's, that doesn't really put me up or down, to be honest yeah. with you. So there'll always be a conversation on commercial stuff, definitely. Yeah, I thought, just to, to give the listeners an idea, just some of the things that you can help with. And do, do you deal with investments and pensions as well? No, um, never get into that line again. We've got some good contacts, you know. So, yeah, on either, either side of N96 philosophy, we've got good contacts. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'd say, I, I kind of thought, it's a, it's a good opportunity for you to tell everybody some of the areas that you, you can help with. But I thought I'd just get that in there as well. Okay, now each week, uh, so far as we've covered various topics, Phil's given us a look back over his own life story and how it's been affected by the subjects we've been discussing. So self-build mortgages, Phil, have you ever had one or, or maybe you fancy one? Now you're on the market, aren't you? I've never had one myself. My, my house is still on the market. Hopefully, I had a, quite a few viewers now, so hopefully, fingers crossed, things might start developing. My, my partner, her, she got an offer in today for hers, so... That'll allow us to, to start kind of going to view places and, and things. But I, I would do a, a self-build mortgage. Do you know what? I, I've seen like so many of them in the like over the years. And I can imagine once it's finished and built and you've moved in, it must be excellent. There could be a few strains and stresses along the way, but that's what guys like Hamish are there to, to do is to try and take away some of that that kind of pain for folks. So uh, it's something I, I would do myself. I, I know from old Skipton days, many moons ago, almost everybody went over budget. It was a nightmare. I used to find, like, we start off with this, and then Hamish I mentioned the things like underfloor heating and mm. stuff, and it just, I mean, it is it just the, the cost would often spiral, but it is such a popular thing to do, and it's it, it kind of... I must admit, the, the appeal of having a place that you like and, and want done up exactly the way you want it, it does appeal to us as well. I can just imagine, Phil, I, I can see it as you sort of walk backwards and you're taking the magic to the house and you, you see like the, the balcony and the first floor. And as you look at it, you take it in, the balcony, the, the railings of the balcony would actually be the gridiron of an American football helmet. And the whole house would be fashioned to look just exactly like that. The sort of house you would build. I definitely have to get a hot tub in there. I, I was away at the weekend. I was staying in a place just outside Inverurie at the weekend, and I had a hot tub, and I was like, oh, man, I could get used to, to this. But I had one other question for Hamish. I, I know years ago, when I used to do the self-build mortgages at Skipton, we, what we used to do was do like a flexible mortgage with no early repayment or no penalties for paying it off early. And then folk would look to, to kind of remortgage quite quickly thereafter. Is that still something people do or do the lenders' deals tend to tie in a bit longer these days? The majority, Phil, the majority will, uh, of, of, of lenders who do the self-build will have you then committed into a two-year or sometimes longer fixed rate at the end of it. And sometimes clients say, look, fair play, they helped me through the build stage, I'm going to stay with them for a period of time. But if you know where to look, if you know where to look, there's a couple of lenders who don't have that and some clients will decide, right, that's my expensive money to get the build done. I want to be off that and onto a super low rate as quickly as possible afterwards. So 
yeah, if you've got your eye in, there's uh, there's some variances there and where's the ways to get an advantage, you know. Phil, we always do this bit as well. You find inspiration through various people you admire. I know you do love a quote. Have you got one that fits our subject matter for this episode on self-build mortgages? Yeah, my, my quote of the week this week is from someone unknown. It takes hands to build a house, but only hearts can build a home. Does not sound like a track in every country album ever, ever made. It takes hands to build a house, hearts can build a home. Now, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your financial queries. If you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask them anonymously if you want us to. Let's get on to this week's questions. Contact details coming up. I'll give it to you after these. Our first one today comes from Angie in Dingwall, who asks... I'm coming to the end of my initial fixed rate mortgage deal. Should I stick with my existing lender or move the mortgage to another bank to get another fixed rate? Okay, stick or twist, Phil. Speak to contact Hamish. She'll sort you out with a new deal. What do you do? Like I say, I always am a great advocate of people using mortgage brokers. And I'm not saying, Hamish, you've got an office in Dingwall as well, do you? Is that right? We do, yes, just off the main street, solicitors based in there and, and the estate agency as well. So, yeah, we've got a footprint up in Dingwall, yeah. I, I do find, like, at, at the minute, when folk come to the end of their deal, there's some people that might be best remortgaging to another lender, but equally, there, there's just as many that the lenders are offering existing deals. But the good thing is, mortgage brokers can can sort all of that out. And, again, it just makes the process easy for, for folk that don't even need to phone the lender their mortgage broker would be able to take care of all of that for them as well. Next is Billy who says, I'm looking to move to Scotland from Bristol. Are there any differences in buying a home in Scotland that I should be looking out for? Well, rain mostly, but in financial terms, Phil? There are a few changes. Um, There's a couple of terms that are a wee bit different. Down south, they, they do what's called exchanging contracts. That's when it becomes legally binding. Up in Scotland, we, we call it concluding missives. So uh, it's a wee bit of a, a difference there. You don't really have the same gazumping up here, but the, you tend to find down south the contracts that often aren't exchanged until like just maybe days before somebody moves in. Whereas up here, that can often be done earlier. But so I'd say that would be kind of some of the main kind of differences that I, I would say there. Um, I'm not sure Any, anything else you can think of, Hamish, would that kind of cover the big differences? Only thing I can chip in here, chaps, is we do actually have a solicitor within the team at Monroe Noble who's geo-qualified between English transactions and Scottish. So Always handy. That can be really helpful for those, let's say, yeah, uh, coming up to live the good life north of the border, especially <laughs> in the Highlands Islands. <laughs> Would you say as well, before you get in touch with the question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a, a fair few topics so far and we may have touched on what you're interested in. I'm John Ellis. Thank you for joining us today for the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. And thank you to our special guest expert, Hamish Malcolm of Monroe and Noble. If someone wants to get in touch with you, Hamish, what are the details to do that? Yeah, a landing page within our, our website. So we're monroenoble.com. On social media, I'm on Twitter. I'm Lone Arranger. <laughs> with an underscore between the loan and the oh, arranger. All contacts are on the, the website chat. So yeah, find me at my own mobile financial page and yeah, happy to hear from anybody. Uh, and if you feel you need a helping hand with anything that we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance, search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or on the Facebook page for the show, search Personal Finance with Phil Anderson. That's Personal Finance with Phil Anderson on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn too. 
or why not email Phil a question he can answer on a future show. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question, and Phil could be answering that in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured we will not use your real name if that's what you prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. And please subscribe on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks very much, John. Thanks for, for coming on as well, Hamish. Cheers, guys.